police in the morning. Welcome, B-Movie fans, to this week's episode of Director's Showcase. I'm B-Movie Paul. Phantom Dark Dave. And this is the final week of Alfred Hitchcock Month. And what better way to end this month than with the review of the what is arguably Hitchcock's most famous film, the horror mystery thriller Psycho from 1960. So, unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably seen or at least know most of the famous scenes in Psycho, but this is going to be a full review of just about everything we can think of on the film. Um, Dave, what did you think of uh, Psycho? Well, of course, because I love horror, I love the movie Psycho, but uh, it doesn't rank as high on my list as probably everyone else's. Yeah, it seems to win almost every um, list of um, Alfred Hitchcock films, just, um, but I'm pretty sure that's largely because most people have only seen Psycho or don't can't really think of any other Alfred Hitchcock movie. Not to say that this isn't a great film, but I don't think a lot of people know a lot about Hitchcock who make those lists. Yeah, no kidding, and it is his most profitable film to date. Um, it was such a... Uh, an eye-opening experience for audiences everywhere because in most horror movies they didn't show what they showed in this movie and although this movie doesn't compare to anything at today's standards but you know there's no cgi in this movie in fact there's chocolate syrup in this movie as there should be yeah and, and what kind of chocolate syrup was that apparently it was um it was i think i think i remember correctly it was a uh, nesquik um um, chocolate syrup, if I remember correctly. I know it's okay, so, not um, Hershey. It's a lot of people seem to think. No, <laughs> you gotta watch the wording. Yeah, Hershey has the um, market cornered on chocolate, but they did not win this battle. So, for me, um, I appreciate the movie. I really enjoy the movie. I love the music. I think out of all the scores, the main theme for Psycho is probably one of the best. Um, Give credit where credit's due. But definitely one of the most bland openings of all the Hitchcock films. Um, The score saves it. Um, But I think the casting was perfect. Um, you know, you got Anthony Perkins, who really wasn't a huge name at the time. This kind of really kick-started who he was. A lot of people say it kind of dogged his career, because from then on, he was always just Norman Bates. And uh, that's not so bad, you know. Um, I know he was on uh, on the beach with Fred Astaire. Big fan there. Uh, but you had Janet Lee, And people like Janet Lee, And, uh, you know, to cast her as your main character... And for her not to be in the entire movie was huge. Yeah, that was one thing that was interesting about this. It starts off like one film and then completely changes, which was basically unheard of at the time. Like, it makes you think that um, Marion Crane is going to be the main character. You know, she she steals this money and then she's on the run. And then it does a 180 and kills her off at, at the end of the first act. And... It was such an unbelievable scene, like um, switch. I if I if I hadn't known what was go- about that shower scene, like ahead of time, I would have never seen it coming. Well, actually, to be honest, I, I knew that everybody knows about the shower scene where she gets murdered in the shower, and they use the chocolate syrup as blood. But I I didn't know when that was going to happen. And then at the end of the first act, when it, when that does happen, like oh wow, this 
I guess she wasn't the main character after all, but she got top billing in this film. Like she's on the she's on the front, she her name's listed and everything. So it was something else, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think that's something that that worked really well in Alfred Hitchcock's favor because nobody did that before. And when you take your lead character and you kill him off in in the first part of the movie, you know, less than halfway through, at that point you realize as an audience you're not safe. Like the one person who you knew was going to make it out alive has died. This means anything can happen. And um, real quick note, I was looking up a lot of stuff that Janet Lee had done. Did you know that uh, she was in a movie called Angels in the Outfield from 1951, which means the one that we know is a remake? I did know that. I think the original is about the um, Pittsburgh Pirates or something like that. That's kind of why I brought it up. That's kind of close to home, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I only know <laughs> that because everyone in Pittsburgh is like, who's if, if anyone ever mentions Angel of the Outfield, they're like, you know the original is based off the Pittsburgh Pirates? I'm like, yeah, I know, because the last 10 people told me that. <laughs> yeah, I should have seen that coming. I guess make that number 11. Um, now, our new main character in the movie, played by Vera Miles, um... She was in one of my favorite episodes of Twilight Zone, actually. Oh, was she? Which one was that? Uh, there's an episode called Mirror Image, um, where basically she goes to a subway station, and she's just kind of sitting there waiting for... Or it's not a subway, it's a bus station. apologize. And she's sitting there waiting for a bus, and she keeps kind of like dozing off or zoning out. And the entire time she gets up, she goes to ask the clerk how long till the bus gets here, and he's like, lady... It's been like five minutes. You just asked me. She's like, I, I've never even talked to you. And so it's really cool because you kind of halfway through the episode, you realize there's like this, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a doppelganger, so to speak. It's a, it's a really cool episode. Sounds like it. But this isn't about Twilight Zone. This is about Psycho. So we'll get back to it. But, uh, you know, I also love the fact that Alfred Hitchcock does his cameo in the beginning of the movie and that doesn't kind of interfere with the suspense of the twist of the plot of the story. You know, you're not sitting there the whole time wondering where Alfred Hitchcock pops up. He hurries up, says, hey, guys, and then he's out of the picture, and now you're back to, okay, what's really going on? Pretty much, yeah. It's like, hey, this is my movie, just so you know. Yeah, because I was going to say, I don't know about you, but that was happening to me, not in Psycho, but when I was watching, you know, Vertigo and North by Northwest, like, when does Hitchcock pop up? There he is. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like finding Stan Lee in any of the Marvel movies. Like, exactly. He's there somewhere. What? Stan Lee and Alfred Hitchcock's the same guy. I don't know if you knew that. Well, it's, it doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> but, um, you know, another thing that was really cool, not to take away from the film, but the novel itself, man, it, it was only... The novel came out in 1959, and instantly a 1960 movie was made. That means you got a good book on your hands. Oh, definitely. One thing about the book compared to the movie is um, the character Norman Bates is a lot different in um, the book. I mean, they're both um, psychos, and they both um, think that they're their mother at some points, but the the original Norman Bates from the book, he's actually a big, fat, middle-aged, balding guy who's, like, very vulgar. He, like... The book opens up where he's having a... I daydream about um some kind of ancient Aztec um cannibalistic ritual or something like that and it's like this calming thing to him and you know he's like obsessed with pornography and things so it's interesting how like they go from that kind of character 
who's very, um, very, very vulgar, very um, obscene and disgusting, to this very charming, very um, young kind of guy who's um, very soft-spoken, very innocent-seeming. And what's interesting in that is one of the scenes in um, in Psycho, the, in the first act, uh, Marion Crane is looking through a book that Norman has, and she closes it in disgust, and you never know what it is, but... If I remember correctly in the book, they like they blatantly say that it's like some kind of pornography. So it's like you don't know in that one you know who Norman Bates is. Like he's he basically wears his disgusting habits on his sleeve, but in psych you hinted at that it's um that it's hidden, but you you never really find out. And I thought that was really interesting that they didn't show it to you. Yeah, I agree. I think that worked out really well and um I think that was a really wise decision because when you first see Norman Bates, whether you know who he is in the movie or not, you don't take him for a killer, you know, or a psycho, so to speak, right away. He he looks like a really upstanding gentleman. You know, he looks respectful. I mean, you know, it's too good to be true. But had they had had the middle-aged, older version, you know, guy stand there, you instantly go, I'm not staying at this hotel. <laughs> oh, definitely. He's definitely got this, like, Mr. Rogers kind of um, vibe to him. What do you mean? There's porn on on free porn on the station. This guy's a sicko. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you called it the uh, the Mister Rogers version. is much more effective. Definitely, and I feel like that choice really made this Hitchcock's like own own creation. It's um, I like you, you got to give the book like its own due, but overall, Hitchcock is, in my opinion, just as much an owner of Psycho as. The guy who originally wrote it. I can't remember what his name is. But, um, I think it was like Robert Block. Blotch? Something like that, yeah. Really good writer, but yeah. Actually, there's a um, second and a third Psycho book, but they're not very good. Um, I was going to say, so, you know, back in the day, um, the value of a dollar is really different, right? So, you know, Hitchcock, he bought the rights to the, to the story for $9,000. Which, man, if I wrote a story and somebody paid me $9,000, i would be on cloud nine. But um, taking that out of context, you know, he bought the rights for 9000 and he deferred his salary and decided to collect on the back half of the making of the film, right, to see the, how the proceeds did and everything. And, um, yeah, Hitchcock made over $150 million off Psycho instead of a $250,000 salary. I think that uh, he made the right decision. Yeah, I'd say so. I kind of feel bad for the um, author because he—I wouldn't say he got chipped, but like, yeah, he—he's not seeing even close to that amount of money. Yeah, well, you know, as writers, that's the thing that people face, and at least you know he wrote a book good enough. It inspired Alfred Hitchcock's most famous movie of all time, and and who knows, you know, maybe behind the scenes, maybe he was getting to be on set, you know, or maybe after everything, you know, he had a cigar with Hitchcock and they went to dinner and it was a beautiful friendship. Who really knows? But yeah, I mean, it, it could always be the other way. You know, he's, <laughs> he goes crazy pulling his hair out, trying to write the next book, you know, <laughs> the next uh, Alfred Hitchcock picture and it doesn't happen. Pretty much. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why he wrote um, Psycho 2 and 3 because they, I think it was because after the film came out, it's like, okay, a lot of people are going to buy this, so I'm, I'm going to write these books, and they're really not that great. Um, the second one really does... Actually, neither of them really have Norman Bates in them much at all, so it's um, 
I, I get the decisions they made. They wanted to make it, he wanted to make it different, but it really it wasn't like it. I mean, they, there's a Psycho two, three, and four. I think of the of the movies. Yep. The second one, the second and third actually aren't as bad as I thought they were going to be. Um, I heard the fourth one was terrible, and I I never even bothered to watch it. But yeah, I I feel like the it's like basically a a cohesive story as it is, and neither one of them needs uh, sequels. Yeah, um, you are right. Um, there are four movies before the remake, and number four is awful. Um, but yeah, Psycho, it, it doesn't need a sequel. It stands alone on its own. It is a fantastic story. Um, it, it was done really well. The cinematography is fantastic. The... Um, all the twist turns, you know, the the plot points, the jump scares, the skeleton in, in the you know chair when you spin it around, the, the little spider that crawls over. I mean, it was all so, so well done. Um, but I think the choice to do it in black and white really helped the tone of that film. Oh, definitely. Because, you know, he, he had already made color films, but he still went back and did black and white because... You know, I had read the theory behind it. People are like, you know, maybe he knew that he would get away with the death scene, and that's really not it at all. He chose to film in black and white because he could make a cheaper film because everybody doubted the film. Everybody thought it was going to be a fluke, and he thought, okay, there are tons of B, right, B movie, um, black and white films that did fairly well. You know, you had, you know, 1954 Creature from the Black Lagoon blew up, right? Um, so if he can make an inexpensive film and it turn around to be amazing, profit will be fantastic. And so that's actually the reason he had chose to do it in black and white was because he's like, if it flops, I didn't spend a lot. But if it's amazing, I'll get all this credibility. And boy, did he. Oh, yeah. Definitely the um, smart um, financial decision on his part. And it worked out so well. Like, um, the, It just gives a vibe to the film that was perfect for the um, everything that went on. Yeah, and um, I think that some modern directors have seen that, and that's why today, you know, people look back at some of the uh, the older horror films as being very groundbreaking. But then, even when people make the decision to go ahead and film in black and white, it does so much for your movie. You know, um, off topic, but like Human Centipede Part Two, they they shot that in color realized it wasn't creepy enough and they turn around and reshot it in black and white and man that added so much more to the movie so you know back to psycho but uh job well done on that um i think it was a match made in heaven with the music score i think i read that um it was like the number four greatest um you know track uh um and it was afi that's pretty awesome yeah it was like number four and it was i mean there's no vocals, just all string, you know, orchestra, and it's so catchy. It makes every Halloween CDs list every year, and um, I mean, this movie really did kind of kickstart slashers in a way. Yeah, pretty much. This came out um, years before um, Black Christmas, which is often known as the first slasher film. So this kind of this predates that. So I, you could really say that Norman Bates was the first slasher. Um, protagonist or norman bates's mother that's true <laughs> but uh anthony perkins is so perfect for this this scrawny little little guy the way he, he his devious smile towards the camera you know it was it was awesome but you know I, another thing that stands out to me really is 
the car chase with the cop i think we all feel that way like we're driving down the road um if we have a sticker that's out or a tail light that's out or if we know that we're going too fast and we see a cop and the cop just so happens to turn around and you drive for like two miles like why is this cop still following me like we all know how marion crane was feeling with that tension So, did you um, did you pick up on the fact that there's a lot of uh, bird references in this movie? I actually didn't. That's um, I hadn't really noticed many of them. Yeah, like some of the the books that were being read were about birds, and he had stuffed birds in the little lobby area, you know. And then her name is Marion Crane, uh, and then his next feature film was The Birds. <laughs> I, never I felt like he was saying something. Oh my god, is that like the first Easter egg? <laughs> much, yeah, Alfred Hitchcock really made he, he made a lot of groundbreaking um, ac- actions in this film. That's for sure. So, we both love the film. I but uh, say, um, one quick thing is um, about the shower scene. I looked this up just a little while ago, but apparently it was made using 77 different close-up angles and in 50 different cuts. And it was so well done because not only did the music, um, like you're saying, match like perfectly to that, thus making it the first like slasher theme song, like going way before like Jason, Jason and Michael Myers. But um, it was um, choosing to do a close-up thing like made it so much scarier than if they had like got if they had zoomed out at all because it just it worked so perfectly. It felt like so personal, especially zooming in and zooming back and forth between uh, Marion Crane getting stabbed. And they never actually show the knife going into her. They just show, like, her reactions to it and the blood. And then it goes to um, Norman Bates um, as his mother stabbing. And it was, what a brilliantly done scene. Like, it's, um, that scene is, it deserves to be as infamous as it is just because of how well done it is and the choices they made to make it as scary as it was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure um, people were running out of the theater back in 1960. Oh, yeah. So if you had to rank this film, uh, what would you give it? Now we're talking about on a uh, 1 to 10 scale? Yeah, pretty much. Just a normal scale. About a 7. Okay. I give this a 9 out of 10. I have only really one complaint about this film, which... Here we go. Okay, at the very end of the film, when they're explaining Norman's um, psychosis, they just, it's this big info dump where they're like, well, you see, he thinks that he's his mother because this and this. I'm like, okay, I get that. Like, it's good to explain that because especially at the time, like, a lot of people didn't have a working understanding of a schizophrenia. But it just seemed like such an info dump. And it's like, I'd rather them show it than, like, just tell it tell the whole thing and i really felt that could have been done better but at the same point the very last scene in the film is alfred as um norman sitting there um basically and he's thinking to himself in his mother's um voice and it's so creepy and just hearing the explanation of his psychosis like right before that worked really well he's just um saying like i'm just a an innocent old lady you know see that fly i'm not even gonna swat that fly and it's just it's such a great scene but like the preceding info dump like i just i i hate when films do that 
and I understand I got to put myself in the time period, and I don't really know if I could have done any better, but it's just something that always bugged me about the film. It's not something to ruin it, and definitely doesn't detract from the overall, but I, I had to mention the info dump. It always bugs me every time I watch the film. I don't think I've heard that term before, but I'm going to start using it now. I got to go get an info dump. Yeah, when I movies when they just, like, blatantly explain the plot, it's like, okay, I get it. Like, I could have probably figured that out, but thanks, guys. Like, it's like this, I, I call it an info dump, and it's just, I, I hate when movies do that, because most of the time, I don't think Psycho's guilty of this, but most of the time when it happens, it's a sign that the writer isn't confident that what they showed was enough to, um, express what they were trying to um, get across to the audience so it just makes them seem either really unconfident or makes them think the um, kind of makes the audience feel like they're too dumb to get it so but overall I don't think that's what Hitchcock was doing and but I think that looking at it from this time period where I've seen so many things like that it just bugs the, it bugs the crap out of me <laughs> all you gotta do is hit the mute button that's true <laughs> Make it a silent film. Oh, yeah. So, a 7 out of 10 by you and a 9 out of 10 by me. All right, so this, since this is the end of Alfred Hitchcock Month, that means it's time to rank our top five Hitchcock films. Now, the top five films that we pick don't necessarily have to be from the movies that we reviewed. In fact, I think a good portion of them aren't. Plus, you know, there are five of them, so it's pretty much impossible. So, would you like to go first with your list? Sure. Now, do you want me to list all five, or do you want to just take turns one by one? Um. Yeah. Let's um. Let's go uh, one by one. Like you pick you pick one, and then like explain your reasoning for it. And then I'll go with mine. All right. So, Phantom Dark Dave, number five, The Birds. Not sure if it made your list, but for me, kind of bummed we chose not to review it because I rewatched it and forgot how much I liked it. I never thought pigeons would be so creepy. <laughs> Actually, what's funny about that for number five, I also have the birds. <laughs> That's perfect. I first saw the movie like 20 years ago and it scared the shit out of me. Just the concept of birds, like, m like turning against human beings is terrifying. And, I've watched it since then, and it still scares the crap out of me. It's a great film, though it made me forever distrust birds. Those feathered bastards. Yeah, and I mean, the phone booth scene and everything was so... I mean, we talked many times about how Alfred Hitchcock makes the scenes in movies, and there's another one. Oh, yeah. And you got the little girl getting knocked down by the bird. You're just like, what the hell is wrong with these birds? Oh, yeah, it's such a well-done film like it's ah, that was it's truly a scary scary experience all right you ready for number four? Oh yeah this may piss a lot of people off number four psycho i like the movie i do but the way my mind works right the way i'm wired other movies have to stand out because I like the Psycho storyline. It's definitely creative, but it was very... Um, there's so many other Hitchcock movies where uh, I'm just looped into the relationship of other characters, and 
Psycho was was definitely good enough to make my top five, but I think when you hear my my other three, you'll understand. Very cool. I picked for number four, Vertigo. It's a really well-told mystery thriller with a great twist, and Jimmy Stewart was pretty much at his best in that one. I really liked the film. I had some problems with it, but it's a little slow-paced, and some of the actions by Jimmy Stewart were kind of weird, especially his, his interactions with his love interest, but overall, it's a solid film. It's really well worth watching. All right. So, for me, number three, Vertigo. <laughs> I, uh, I agree with you, but I just took so much more interest in this one than Psycho. Um, maybe I'm a Jimmy Stewart buff, but he did such a great job and you know i think because um i had read so much negativity about the movie and then i watched it and was like i didn't see any of that negativity now again this this top five is a personal choice top five this isn't ranking alfred hitchcock on his best five but for me personally vertigo hits home at number three i I love the story i'm like what a cool concept what a cool idea the scenery is awesome love that bell tower and like I said, the, the lead actress in this movie stole me, and the relationship between her and Jimmy Stewart just took presence. Definitely. For number three, I picked another one that wasn't on our reviews, but I still really like Strangers on a Train. It's um, a story about two men who meet on a train and agree to murder someone for the other person, and I really thought it captured the complexities of the human mind like realistically how a person would react if they were going to murder somebody and it was kind of like when we reviewed rope you've got one guy who's the normal kind of guy who reacts appropriately to the topic of murder and one guy who just doesn't see anything wrong with it and just the idea of like meeting somebody who's very well spoken very charming who's also a psychopath i thought it was so well done and when they both kind of take different paths in the um, murder deal and just how the other guy reacts. It's like a complete, like, difference in morality, like a complete not understanding of the other person, and I thought it was done really well. It's a very good film, and um, I don't, I wouldn't say it's his, one of his most underrated films because it does get a lot of attention, but I think that that one really captures the... Um, captures Alfred Hitchcock's understanding of that we're only I think that what that one really shows is half the time when we do things it's only because we've told ourselves certain things are wrong but if we never did or can't understand why maybe we wouldn't be so uh, so against um, certain actions nicely said my friend um yeah no it definitely (laughs) it's definitely a good one um rolling in at number two for me a film we did not talk about dial m for murder ah there you go i love this movie this movie was awesome it reminded me so much of another film called rope that you mentioned um you got a few characters one setting and a fantastic story and basically, uh, Ray Milland is in this movie, and he is married to Grace Kelly. And Grace Kelly is not a good wife, in his opinion, and he thinks she needs to be murdered. 
and I need to be free from this. So he ends up getting in touch with an old friend of his who he knows has kind of a dirty background and offers to pay him to kill his wife. And everything seems okay until things don't go as expected and the hired murderer gets murdered. And then after that, everything starts to unfold, the murder in your face, and you just get so much Hitchcock in this movie. And I just, I was blown away by the performances from all the actors and actresses. I loved the way that everything was so like detective story in this. And even though you know what happened because you saw it on screen, for a second, you pretended you didn't because you loved having to find out what was going on. And uh, I wasn't so sure that Dial M for Murder had its place on my list. And after I rewatched it just for this purpose, I couldn't believe it, but it made it all the way to number two. Very cool. Yeah, that one almost made the list, but when it was marking down all the positives of all the fi- all the Hitchcock films I've seen, it just barely missed it right above Run Under Birds. But for number two, I picked Rope. It's an intense, underrated crime thriller, and it's set in a limited um, location, and it's so well done. The character of, um, I think it was Philip, who and was just so well done like as a psychopath, who, he's just so calm about killing somebody, and it's a game to him the whole time. And... He's at a, and it takes place at this dinner party, and he's just, well, you'd have to watch our, our review of that, but yeah, just the way he acts around it, and Jimmy Stewart's character was amazing as well. What a great film. It is unbelievable, but that was my number two pick. That's, um, that's not a bad choice. Um, do you want to guess what my number one is? Hmm, let's see. Uh, was it... Is it hmm, Lifeboat? No, not Lifeboat, not 39 Steps, not uh, Notorious by far. Oh, it's North by Northwest, right? It is definitely not North by Northwest. In fact, I am amazed that Cary Grant did not make my top five Alfred Hitchcock list. But everybody who listens to me knows that for me, number one, Rope. Uh, Everything Paul just said, plus a million things that I love about this movie, the entire atmosphere, the acting is flawless, and I felt like I was in the living room at this dinner party the whole time this movie was going on, and secretly I almost wanted to be, right? I'm like, this this is crazy, this is all happening right in front of us. Um, But yeah, I, uh, I think as far as the story goes, even though it was about the most basic thing you can do. It was almost like watching Clue, the, the, the game unfold on film, and with just 15 takes, it stole my heart. Number one, Rope. Very cool. So for number one, I didn't want to be this guy, but I'm going to be that guy. I picked Psycho. And my reason for it is I just think this one is the most Hitchcock of all of his films. To me, Hitchcock was a guy who could pretty much see through anyone. He could see what could break people and how really fragile people are and how in the right circumstances we can all be broken. And I think with the character of Norman Bates, a guy who 
comes off as pretty normal, quite charming. And Anthony Perkins, who played it perfectly, he would just break at times and just completely break from reality. He would start yelling at himself as pretending, uh, thinking he was in an argument with his mother. He would think he was her. And just to build such a broken character, but make him so human, especially for the time in the 1960s, was such a brilliant it was such a brilliant achievement. I know it was based off a book, but my God, Hitchcock made that his own. And I definitely understand why that's, it's his most well-known film. I, I've, even the fact that like this also very much um, influenced a lot of the uh, slasher films, which would come later, the idea of just making such a broken character who could just viciously murder people and... From, and from being um, completely removed from reality was so well done. The casting was great, the um, music was great, and like I said, except for the info dump at the end, which I think is just me putting my own kind of bias from the time period I'm in into that, I really can't find many flaws in it. It's based on and my god, I love that film. It's, it's something else, and to me, it is the most Hitchcock of them all. No flaws except for an info dump. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so whether it's a rope or a knife, somebody's getting killed in a Hitchcock film. Oh, yeah. I do have to say, for most of our picks, it was about people uh, murdering um, others. Uh, what does it say about us? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I have a contract out for anybody. I hope I haven't made anybody agitated. Um... But I saw a pattern with Hitchcock there. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like, um, you look at, let's see, Rope. Um, I know I picked Stranger on a Train. He picked um, Dial M for Murder. Um, a lot of them, well, even uh, Vertigo, too, and obviously Psycho. They all have to do with, um, a mur- <laughs> like, somebody getting murdered or a murder plot. Like, they're not, they're definitely not family-friendly films, that's for sure. But, yeah, I, I love them all the, le- all the more. So, that does conclude Hitchcock. Do you want to let them know who uh, who the next director showcase is going to be? Uh, yes, next month is going to be a fun one. For the month of April, we will be reviewing films by Todd Browning. And for those of you who know, Todd Browning covers silent films and talkie films, so you might see a healthy mix. Oh yeah. Do you have a choice for um, our first review for ne- for next week? I don't know because when when I think of Todd Browning, two really big movies come to mind, and I feel like we should start with one and we should end with one. So I will say between Freaks and Dracula, how would you like to start? I'd say let's start with Dracula because that's the film that really got his career going, and then let's end with Freaks because that's the one that unfortunately destroyed his career. But that's so a you want- story entirely. You want to start a top five with a movie that launched his career, and you want to end a top five with a movie that destroyed his career. I think that is so poetic. Let's do it. Sounds good to me. All right, B-Movie fans. So until next time, be brave, be alive, and be back for more. (laughs) 